0: Good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. What's well, the first Sunday of Advent? The Christian year starts today. So, uh, it's confusing. Uh, Christians do things a little differently. And so... Uh, on a new year. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yes. Yeah. Still feeling it a little bit? Yeah. That extra four or five pounds. <laughs> yeah. But it's okay. The holiday seasons are coming. No, no worries, right? We had a good week at the Kennison household. It's always good. I'm sure lots of you got to see your families. Uh, we typically go to Charlotte for Thanksgiving where uh, Kim's sister and her family lives um, and so we met two of our sons there who are actually closer to Charlotte and they are here so we met them there, took our girls with us so we all met down there for a couple days it was a good a good few days together and then we all came back and uh celebrated a little bit early Andrew's 23rd birthday, uh, which is Tuesday, I think, but he's not gonna be around Tuesday, so we uh, we had the red velvet cake. That's what you're wondering about. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we had three-layer red velvet cake uh, after Thanksgiving. That's like really, yeah, too much, a little too much. Um, but no one seemed to complain. In fact, I think Andrew ate pretty much half the cake the first night. Talking a three-layer cake. Yeah. He said he'd been gone for a couple of years, so, at his birthday, so he hadn't had any for a while, so I think he was trying to make up for it just in one setting, so. Well, for those of you who may not have been here lately, we, we are on to a new series. Uh, those of you who May have been here last, we were doing the hard sayings of Jesus forever. Uh, I think we, we sojourned with Jesus and the hard sayings for about six months. And we quit because we were just worn out. Uh, not because we'd exhausted all the hard sayings of Jesus. Um, maybe someday we'll do a series on the, the easy sayings of Jesus. Uh, that'll be a very short series. <laughs> uh, yeah, we could do most of those in the morning. Um, but for the last several weeks, we've been talking about uh, vulnerability, um, which may seem like an odd, odd topic, and in some ways it is. It's not something we talk a lot about. Um, but we've been trying to get our heads around uh, several things. One, we've been trying to I mean, we all have, had, we all have experience of, a, of vulnerability all the time, so one of the reasons it's odd we don't talk about it is because we're all familiar with it. I mean, it's not like, uh, oh, I can check out on this series because I, I don't have any idea about vulnerability. I don't even know what he's talking about. I mean, we all know exactly what it's like to be vulnerable. Um, and we all know the discomfort uh, that comes along with experiences of vulnerability. Um, we've reminded ourselves that to be to be vulnerable is to be open to being wounded. Right. Uh, that the very word vulnerability comes from this Latin word for wound, and so to be vulnerable is to be to have the capacity to be wounded. Um, And wounded in lots of different ways, right? I mean, you could be wounded physically. And so all of us know what it's like um, to literally be wounded in our bodies, to have our bodies uh, less than at full health. And we know what it's like for others near us uh, to be wounded in, in body. We also know there's sort of emotional wounds. Um, We've all been wounded emotionally. We've all... um, Some of the deepest wounds that we bear in this room, I feel sure, are are emotional scars. uh, Wounds that we we bear from uh, people having said things to us, or betrayed us, or maybe people not saying things to us. Um, all kinds of ways in which we can be emotionally wounded. And in our our spirit. And we, we have done the wounding, too. It's not just that we are wounded, but we we have been on, we have been wounders. Which also leaves a wound. Right? Um, if you have wounded someone uh, dear to you and you have born the, the guilt and shame of having wounded another uh, that that's a deep wound in your own soul um, our, our spirits uh, can be wounded um, I'm struck i um, in my 25th year of teaching and uh, I'm not the only person who notices in uh, the generations coming up. Uh, that I don't remember 25 years ago. I'm sure it was there in some ways, but it feels much more dramatically present now. Um, It is a deep kind of cynicism among uh, young adults. Um, Just, yeah, just cynicism. Just a a sense of, um, again, not everyone, Um, but, but there's beneath the surface of many, many young people uh, is a kind of, a kind of cynicism, uh, a kind of refusal uh, to hope. Um, and I think of it uh, as, a, as a kind of defense mechanism, actually. Um, we're back to sort of Judy's lessons, and she taught when I was gone the, all the kinds of ways in which we have devised uh, sort of self-protective Strategies against being wounded. Right? I mean, if you're only, it you only takes being wounded so many times before all of us find strategies uh, either to keep from being wounded on the one hand, because, I mean, let's be, let's be clear, nobody likes to be wounded uh, that I know of. Um, and people who do, we, we have serious worries about their mental health, right? So, no, no one seeks or enjoys being wounded. Um, and so, it's quite natural that we would develop uh, defense mechanisms against our wounds. And I, and I actually think that cynicism is, is a kind of defense mechanism in many ways. Um, a person, I mean, to, we're in Advent. We say we're going to try to look at Advent through the the lens of vulnerability. And uh, one of the one of the first themes, uh, one of the, the focal points of Advent, is is hope, right? right? Hope, and that's often sort of the, the theme for the first Sunday in Advent, is is hope. And Cynicism is sort of the refusal to hope, right? Um, but but hope sets you up to be wounded, right? I mean, you, you know the old saying: if you if you uh, if you keep your expectations really low, you can never be disappointed, <laughs> right? So you've taken up that strategy, right? Uh, I don't, if I just don't hope for much, right? If I don't really expect much, then I'm, then I'm not likely to be disappointed. I'm not likely to be let down. If I don't hope for much from people, then I don't feel let down because I didn't expect them to be there anyway, right? Um, and a kind of cynicism that expects very little out of life, expects very little out of our common life. Um, that focuses entirely on the, on the darkness for the sake of the darkness, that kind of cynicism um, is understandable uh, in, in a world where it seems difficult to hope for a lot of people. But it seems like a kind of uh, self-protective strategy. It's a kind of way of protecting us from being wounded and and so you know cynicism and and despair are kinds of uh, wounds of the spirit a kind of uh, incapacity um, or refusal or a self-protective strategy to keep from from being wounded and so last week we began to ask and so we've talked for several weeks about, Uh, vulnerability in in fairly general terms um, uh, and about this sort of human condition that we find ourselves in that part of what it means to be human seems to be vulnerable uh, to be wounded I mean to be be fully alive unless you're just completely shut down um, and you know somehow put up sort of iron shields of protection against your heart, um, if you're really alive in any meaningful sense, then we still are open to being wounded. And that that's not easy. It's not easy. Again, if you've, if you've borne deep wounds, it's hard to continue to be open to be wounded. What we started to open up last week what we want to continue today and push along a little bit um, is this difficult notion, might seem fairly unconventional, to think about what, what would it mean, um, is, is it possible that God is vulnerable? And what would it mean to think about the vulnerability of God? And last week on Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday of the Christian year, um, we looked at the text uh, for the day that Christians all around the world who follow the Christian lectionary were reading, which seemed like an odd text for those of us entering into what we think of as the Christmas season, right? And that is the, the long story of Jesus gathering with his disciples on the last night before his crucifixion, uh, sitting down at table with his disciples, um, his betrayal, Jesus' betrayal by Judas, uh, his uh, being interviewed, interrogated by various uh, religious and political authorities, and his crucifixion being hung between uh, two other Uh, would-be insurrectionists. I began to think about what, what would it mean? I mean, what would it mean to really do what Christians all along have said we are trying to do, and that is, what does it mean not to start with a generic version of God, which is what most of us want to do? I don't want to start with a kind of generic version, like, I know what God is, you know what God is. I mean, God's, God's the, the Omni-One, right? Uh, the the om, Omniscient One, right? The All-Knowing One. Um, the the om, Omnipresent One, the Ever-Present One. But the most important one is the Omnipotent One, right? The all-powerful one. And so we begin with a kind of generic version of any God worth having, right? If you're going to have a God, you ought to have one worth having. And so we have this sort of generic version of God who who is all these things. And then we tell the story about Jesus and try to figure out, well, how do we and we know that somehow Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. And then we, we sort of put our heads uh, around trying to figure out what, what would it mean that Jesus is in some sense the incarnation of God among us. Now, so here, here we celebrate in Advent, in the Christmas season, Emmanuel, God, God with us but what I want us to wrestle with maybe more than we have at some points is to ask ourselves which God is with us? And, and do, we dare, do we dare allow God as revealed in Jesus to tell us who God is rather than us assuming who, that we already know who God is? and that when Jesus comes along, Jesus just, you know, embroiders around the edges a little bit of this picture of God that we already have. Do do we dare allow Jesus to fundamentally challenge our notions, my notions of who God is? And if so, what implications does that have for human life? So, So that's what we're about at Advent, and that's Um, that's a challenging set of questions to ask and uh, I know you're up to it. Right? One of the wonderful things about teaching you year after year is that uh, uh, you're always up for a challenge. This is a challenge. Uh, This is a challenge. Um, And so so last week, we asked ourselves, you know, what does what this very familiar story of Jesus's death and resurrection teach us about, about God, about God's own vulnerability? And so we, we sort of walked through that very uh, long text in Luke, just looking at several places where Jesus is astonishingly vulnerable in ways that we all all recognize. right? Uh, Everything from being abandoned by his closest friends, um, that's pretty vulnerable. Most of us have been there. If you've been betrayed by someone close to you, which is really the only kind of people you can be betrayed by, right? You can't be betrayed by a stranger. What would that mean? Now we're, we're betrayed. I mean we use the language. We reserve the language of betrayal from someone close enough to wound us deeply. And Jesus puts himself in a position to be, be betrayed. And we talked about the, the vulnerability of, of giving yourself, uh, pouring yourself in to someone else's life and them not getting it, right? Jesus at his last supper in, the, in Luke is you know, trying to explain what's about to happen and his disciples are having this side argument about who's the greatest, right? Really, the last night, like I'm getting ready to lay myself down, to die, to give myself. I need you near. And they're quibbling about who's going to be the greatest. I mean, all of us. I mean, probably none of us have felt quite that weight of disappointment. Again, that's only possible if that betrayal, that sense of disappointment is only possible because Jesus risks pouring himself out into other people. And you all all have done that. You all have devoted yourself. A lot of you have raised children, grandchildren, poured yourself into other people, friends, neighbors, family members. And at least once in your life, you have found yourself deeply wounded in all of that. Right? Um, children grow up, and maybe you've never allowed yourself to say it to a child, but you're thinking, is that my child? Right? Some of you have said it to your children. Like, who are you? Right? Or just little things, right? I mean, just little things. I mean, but, but it reminds us, right? I mean, you're sitting around. Thanksgiving dinner, and your, and your children are embarrassing you because they've forgotten their manners. It's like, I raised you better than that. Right? Those are just tiny wounds, little pinpricks. Right? But it reminds us that, again, those are only possible. I mean, if, if we never poured ourselves into anyone, and that wouldn't be possible. No one could possibly disappoint you. <laughs> right? Um, so, so Jesus knows this. He knows what it's like. God knows what it's like to be suspended between heaven and earth on a cross. And, and this, the church says, is where God reigns. Not on a earthly throne, golden throne, but on a cross. What does that mean for our understanding of God? What does that mean? And so today I thought we would... And what, does that, what does that mean when we think about... It sort of fundamentally challenges this notion that the first thing to say about God is that God is a God of power, at least power in the way that we normally conceive it. When we think of power, most of us we think about the capacity, you know, to, to make things happen. Often things uh against people's will. And so we, we often think of sort of force and coercion. And yet most of us, I suspect, know the gospel story enough and have internalized it enough to know that if this God that we worship and serve, that we remember and celebrated Advent and throughout the rest of the year this God is revealed in Jesus Christ. If, we want, if this God is a God of power, then it's, it's a God of power quite unlike any other kind of power that we know. Uh, because it's not, it's not the sort of straightforward uh, God of power that is sort of the generic God that you say, well, God is all-powerful, and that's all there is to say. No, that's not all there is to say in the story. Am I, am I willing to have this sort of fundamental way of thinking about God questioned, interrogated by this very particular Jesus? And so what I, all, really all I want us to do today is just sort of focus on one thing. What, what does the Jesus the god that we meet in jesus what does that that jesus have to say about god's vulnerability when it comes to the notion of power we tend to think of vulnerability and power as sort of at odds with each other, at least I do, maybe you don't. Um, but I tend to think of, um, and I think one of our reactions back we're to self defense, or defense mechanisms, as one of our reactions to protecting ourselves from vulnerability is to, is to go back to Judy's notion of in, image management. Um, one way to sort of live in denial of our vulnerability is to is to pretend that we are strong and powerful. Right? Is to deny that I'm vulnerable. Right? Uh, to, to not let you know that you've wounded me. Right? Um, to, to be to be strong, so to speak. Right? Um, this, this may in fact I mean, without caricaturing and stereotyping too much that this might in fact be uh, a bigger uh, or a more dramatic problem for for men in American society than even women although I don't pretend that women are immune from this they aren't right but there's because woundedness um, to be vulnerable is is viewed so often as weakness in American culture, then the strategy is to, is to purport to be strong, by which we mean powerful and immune, protected from vulnerability. And, and this is a real challenge, again, not, not for everyone, but for a lot of us, uh, it's, it's a challenge. But I've been I've been haunted uh, by a quotation from uh, C. S. Lewis that I wanted to read this morning uh, because it's, in some ways, the heart of what I want to get at today. What I've been thinking about uh, for several weeks, but particularly this week, and it's connected to this notion of. Is it the case? Is it the case that vulnerability is, is weakness in any kind of simple sense? Certainly feels that way, and certainly gets cast that way. But what Lewis is suggesting and I think he's right to suggest this is that there's a sense in which vulnerability is at the very heart of what it means to love and be loved. And to refuse vulnerability is to refuse love. And if he's right about that, it seems to me there are important implications for the way we think about God. So here's what he says. I may read it a couple times because it's a lot to take in. Um, He writes, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, but in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, to love is to be vulnerable. To love is to be vulnerable. So you you and I can you and I can protect ourselves from being vulnerable, but at what cost? cost and then then you begin to think about you know the the passages of scripture that we most cherish and we have passages like God is love God is love teach our children that early on that God is love we don't sit our kids on our knees when they're young and say Susie God is power we say God is love but lest we set those against each other What if that is precisely God's power? What if this particular God revealed in Jesus that the power of this God is that this God loves in freedom? this God chooses to love and in so doing becomes vulnerable open to being wounded and and once you see this in the face of Jesus Christ you begin to read the rest of the story and you realize it didn't start with Jesus I mean In the very act of creation, at the very beginning, (coughs) when God chooses to create human beings made in God's image, who are free to love God in return, or not. God creates the possibility of being wounded, of being rejected. That's a form of woundedness, right? Um, and and in refusing God's love, you know, the ripple of woundedness begins itself. I mean, that that would be. Uh, an interesting way of re-narrating what we call the fall, right? Um, we often tell this story of the fall, we tell it to children as, a, as primarily uh, this sort of grand, epic act of disobedience. We probably have our own motives for telling it that way, right? Serves our purposes. Uh, but maybe at the heart of what's going on there in the garden is this refusal of love. Adam and Eve were, in some sense, vulnerable in the garden. But th- they didn't even know they were, <laughs> right? It's interesting, one of the details of the story, right? That, that they, they were naked and unashamed, the story says, right? It's kind of an interesting detail. And we said one of the ways of thinking about vulnerability is being exposed. You know, all of us have had those uh, sort of uh, paradigmatic model uh, dreams where we're unclothed in public, right? This, this deep anxiety about being exposed, quite literally, right? There's no, uh, well, they were exposed but didn't feel exposed. Why? because they didn't know anyone. I mean, they'd never encountered anyone who took advantage of their nakedness, right? No one who took advantage of their being exposed. There's nothing wrong with being exposed unless you're around people who will take advantage of your being exposed. And that's part of what, we, what makes us anxious about vulnerability is being open to woundedness is knowing, well, quite frankly, there are plenty of people around who will take advantage of my being capable of being wounded. In the garden, they're capable of being wounded, but no one before the serpent took advantage of that. So what if... What if God's. What if when we talk about God's power, it's about God's power to love, which by its very nature entails vulnerability? So when we talk about the vulnerability of God, we're talking about. God's willingness to love with this kind of reckless abandon, knowing full well, knowing full well that that leaves even God vulnerable to rejection, to, to disappointment, to the refusal to even accept that love. One of the risks of loving is there's, there's no guarantee, right, that, that that love will be received, certainly no guarantee that love will be reciprocated. Why love at all? It's dangerous. Business to pour yourself into another. We know this. We have done it. But we also know some of the most beautiful experiences in human life are precisely made possible by vulnerability. It's only when we, made in the image of God, choose to love freely. If God's power is the power to love in freedom, it's only when we choose to love another freely in all its vulnerability that we make possible the most beautiful in human life. But at risk. We shouldn't be naive about this. This is risky. But what we're trying to remind ourselves at Christmas is as we head into the Advent season, in this Sunday, in the coming week, this is precisely the risk that God has taken. We often don't think of God taking risks. You think if you're God, the universe, you know everything, and what can be risky. Right? Got it all under control, that's what we love to say, right? God's under control. God's got everything under control. But not not in any way that makes any sense to our notions of control. Right? A God who loves in freedom, knowing full well that that freedom entails the freedom for us to walk away. Is a, is a freedom to love that's enormously vulnerable. And as Lewis reminds us, we can avoid that. We can avoid that, right. we can avoid that by, by shutting down our hearts entirely But at that point, you know, at that point it's we're we're just a shell of a human being. We have in fact protected ourselves from wounds, but we've really ceased becoming anything but a shadow of what it means to be a human being created in the image of this God. So in the remaining weeks of Advent, what we want to think about is what do we learn from these familiar Christmas stories and these familiar stories of Jesus that that remind us, that have, have always been there as a kind of undercurrent, but maybe we didn't really see them. That this this god has taken great risk and has has shown up in our world you know it's again this the central aspect the central confession of our faith that if we hadn't heard it so many times would continue to shock us and that is in some mysterious, unfathomable way the God who brought everything into existence including us determined to be God with us quite literally to be incarnate in human, frail vulnerable flesh and blood with all that that comes with, Jesus doesn't come—not born into this world with some kind of invincibility. He shares our lot, and in doing so, teaches us both. And this is central Christian confession, that Jesus teaches us both what it means to be fully human and Jesus teaches us Jesus gives us the clearest picture we have had or ever will have of God's own character and in both cases Jesus is fully human and in Jesus is fully divine we see Surprising, breathtaking Vulnerability God, we confess that we hardly know ourselves, <laughs> that we engage in so many acts of self protection, and that we sometimes are strangers even to our own and we confess we we know so little in some ways about the the mystery of who you are and your ways in the world and yet you have given us these powerful glimpses glimpses of your power born of vulnerability, this power to love in freedom, a power that each of us knows because we have been loved and have loved is so potentially transformative and yet it comes with risk and vulnerability. And we realize that we live between that beauty and that anxiety of both wanting to be loved and knowing the risk of loving and the risk of being loved. And so on this first Sunday of Advent, as we are called to be people marked by hope in a world of anxiety and despair and cynicism, We pray that you might by your spirit make us people willing to hope in the transformative power of your redeeming love that reaches out to us at great risk and with deep and humble vulnerability. May our lives this week be a little more open to the world, a little more open to each other. May our hearts be softened, realizing that only as we ourselves take the risk and open ourselves in vulnerability to love and be loved, that we may truly reflect and embody the life you've called us to live we pray this through the one who in his life and his death embodied fully your vulnerable love even Jesus Christ